because we talk about equality and parity and yes I can manage to do bits of that through my the work you know my work as a singer and a, and a choir leader and a composer but I I'm interested in the development of strategy strategy that makes a real difference to the infrastructure of the music sector whether that be community sector or whether that be commercial music industry and everything in between. Empowerment for women's voices within that and for black people's inclusion within the decision making that happens at every stage of those infrastructures is what I'm interested in working positively to try and change at strategic level. Hi there and welcome to This Is Why We Sing, a podcast with me, James Sills, that's all about the transformative potential and transformative power of singing, and in particular, what happens when we sing together. Today's episode is all about empowerment and equality through singing. And my guest is Jennifer John. Now, Jennifer is a singer, a composer, a teacher, a mentor, and a true artist whose work is fueled by passion and by purpose. I first met Jennifer when I was living in Liverpool in the early 2000s, and I was invited to join Sense of Sound Singers, a group with whom I sung for many, many years. And really, that's the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing now in my work as a singing leader, but also as an evangelist about the benefits of singing. Jennifer has been really instrumental in my own singing journey and I know that she has for many, many people. In our conversation, we talk about tackling inequality within community music making and within the music industry as a whole. We talk about her vision for setting up Sense of Sound as an organisation, about her love for Liverpool, and also her composition, Love Sings from Liverpool, the virtual choir project that I was very happy to add my voice to in 2020. We recorded this conversation whilst in lockdown in early 2021. Jennifer in Liverpool, myself in North Wales. And this is what it sounded like. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. I know that the listeners can't see this, but I just want to compliment your amazing wallpaper. Thank you. Cole and Son are responsible for that wallpaper. <laughs> Not sponsor the podcast, but the purveyors of beautiful, beautiful uh, wallpaper that you want to stroke. First question, Jennifer. The same question I ask everybody. What song's in your head right now? Collage. Do you know that song? I do not. Tell me about it. By Lady Blackbird. And tell me about Lady Blackbird. She's just wonderful. She just has got this voice like it, that it's like full of depth and texture and an energy and a soulfulness that um, is just amazing. I just recommend everyone to go check her out if you don't already know about her. Lady Blackbird? Yeah. I will do. That's one of the many joys of doing this podcast is discovering so much new music. Yeah. Uh, is there any particular reason that track at the moment because you're listening it to it? just makes me feel great as soon as the beat kicks in. I'm a big lover of house music. I love dancing. Um, and so every time I listen to her, I feel... Um, energised, upbeat, positive. I could go on. 
Can't ask for any more than that. I've got to say, we're recording this on a Monday morning, so it sounds like a good track <laughs> yeah. for a Monday morning yeah. at the start of the week. Um, now, I'm really keen to talk to Jennifer about um, singing and music as kind of an agent of social change, because um, like so many people kind of in the creative world, you wear so many hats, you know, vocal coach, composer, mentor, performer, entrepreneur. But the thread that I think that runs through all of your work um, is a real sense of purpose and a real sense of music and singing being so much more than just being music and singing for its own sake. It's about its potential for social change. So I feel there's loads to explore there. But when were you kind of first aware of this in, in your life, you know, when you were growing up, that, that's, that you know, singing and music was more, more than just about something that sounds pleasant or is fun to do? My parents are from Trinidad. And, you know... When my father came over to England in 1958 and worked for two years before he could send for my mother, I think the legacy that I come from is one of rising above adversity. Mm. You know, both my parents, my father is no longer here, but both my parents had very strong visions about what they wanted their life to stop being and then what they wanted their life to become. Mm. So their trip to England was built on a false dream that was, um, at the time, Enoch Powell's River of Blood speech was very much about England being the land of milk and honey, the mm. land of opportunities. And it was, for them it was. But the stories that they had to tell about what else it was too, are the backdrop of my life. So I've always had a, a perspective and a sense of other parts of the world and that opportunities that I've been lucky enough to have, a lot of people don't have. And my parents didn't have some of those opportunities. And so my sense of, um, what's the word, gratitude and appreciation of life Mm. runs very deeply for me and and equality of opportunity runs equally as deeply right and I know that that was a big part of your motivation for founding Sense of Sound in was it the 80s in Liverpool we officially um, formed in 1992 okay but I had the idea before that about music should be for everyone Right, so yeah. And that was our byline. Tell us about this, yeah. So, for five minutes in my life, I was a consultant. And at the end of my post as a consultant, my then boss said to me, look, we've got an underspend of money and I'd like you to go away and write a report about something that you feel really passionate about, which I did. And I wrote the report on women, in black women in music mm. on Merseyside. Um, as a result of the findings in that report... Um, I discovered that there was a need for there to be a central place that all of these women could come together collectively and create within. I, you know, I produced that report, I gave it to my boss. Um, in order to, to create that report, I spoke to 70 black women from across the city. And the one thing that kept recurring was that they didn't perceive themselves as singers, even though I had discovered them because I'd seen them sing either in a community setting or in a local pub mm. or on a stage. The majority of them didn't have the confidence to call themselves singers. 
And when I got to the bottom of why, it was because they hadn't received any official training and just felt like they didn't deserve the title. Interesting. Yeah, and it made me realise that actually these kind of perceptions about what success is and also the way that we self-sabotage is something that's really prevalent in human beings and particularly in women, I think. And so at the end of that report, I created these workshops for those women to attend. They all came and the workshops got bigger and bigger. And I thought, you know, these need to be formalised. And so Sense of Sound was born. I invited three other people to come join me and we turned it into a company. Amazing. And um, that organisation has kind of morphed and changed over the years, but is still very much going strong. Um, you, you talked about your love of disco earlier and you've just been doing some <laughs> collaborations with uh, a Merseyside dance label, just bringing it right up to date, which um, which is really, really thrilling sounding. Well, I, I still... So the element of sense of sound that still exists is the ensemble of singers. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, I just thought, you know what, we've been together for years and we've never made a record. That doesn't make any sense. So I... Had you know what, all the years that I sung with you, I don't think we ever recorded anything. No, we didn't, because <laughs> I didn't feel like... Well, actually, I think we were just being spontaneous, living in the moment, mm. having experiences and then moving on to the next, but actually... Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was always very much about a live, a, a live thing as well, a live art form. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But actually, it's nice to be able to archive things and to mm. have a record. So, yeah, literally, we have records out, and so... Um, yeah, we've got a single out at the moment, Show Me, which is a real disco classic that one of the singers wrote. Amber Cootie is responsible mm-hmm. for writing that. So, yeah, Amazing. we're doing a lot of that. Amazing. Um, okay, we're hopping around chronologically, and that, that's, that's, that's good. If we go back again to the formation of Sense of Sound, you know, you brought in um, more people to help you realise your vision. And I remember having you know conversations with you in the past where you talked a lot about the kind of musical and social influence of um, Sweet Honey in the Rock in those days. Would you be able to talk a little bit about that? I mean, when we first started, Sweet Honey in the Rock, for people who don't know, you know, they're a, an a cappella ensemble of black women. Some of, the, some of the early songs that we sang, actually, were by Sweet Honey. Mm. Oh, and then we got the opportunity. Yeah, they're just amazing. And they're very kind of spiritual um, yeah. women. So we were massively influenced by them and we did joint concerts with them. And watching them and being in that arena with them taught us so much about. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't know that you that you performed. Yeah, them. yeah. Um, and so it gave us a real grounding in the importance of that oral transition being passed down and the words that you sing being really important. Now we know that singing is very cathartic, but there's a very specific project that you've been leading recently called the Liverpool Complaints Choir. <laughs> which sounds very cathartic. I wonder if you could tell me a bit about that. Liverpool Complaints Choir was part of a much bigger global project. Um, It was, the idea came from a husband and wife team in Finland who took this idea around the world and there are lots of different complaints choirs globally. When it came to Liverpool... Complaints uh, franchise. Yeah. They brought it to fact in Liverpool. And, um, and then Fact approached me about being the composer and the workshop leader for that project. So basically my job was to sit in a room with the participants and listen to them complaining specifically about work 
about their jobs, about the fact they weren't listened to, about the fact that working conditions weren't what they'd like them to be. There was a whole gamut of reasons Mm. why they were complaining. And then I went and turned their complaints into a choir piece. Um, It was a great... A great thing to do, actually. And for a lot of those people that were involved, they were like a bit a bit scared about um, being exposed as the people complaining. But um, mostly we had a lot of fun. What, what did it sound like? I can't imagine it was kind of, you know, gentle, kind of restful, you know, choral music. Well, I had them in the beginning. I had them sighing. So there was a lot of... <sighs> and then the opening line is, <laughs> I'm fed up. So fed up, and we and then we incorporated lots of uh, body percussion and um, a little bit of um, pastiche, operatic pastiche, that you know, rude people, that kind of thing. And um, <laughs> we just had a lot of fun uh, creating yeah. it. Yeah, it sounds good. It's good and, fun, and I guess empowering of the people involved because they could actually, you know, we we use the term, you know, voice our complaints or, vo- but actually they were giving voice to that. You know, they were literally. Uh, getting yeah. it off their chests um, yeah. and giving voice to it, like you Which, said. Which, as we know, is always good. Is always good. Yes. Um, now, that was really interesting. You're talking about, you know, body percussion and bits of opera because, you know, I feel that you've always drawn on such a broad kind of music, you know, so many different musical worlds. Um, and if I think of some of your projects, they seem to have really bridged, you know, what people might think as these kind of separate boxes of, of music. You know, I'm thinking about Cream Classical here. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm thinking about Damon Albarn's um, Monkey Opera. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Because I find that very empowering as well, you know, empowering on a, on a kind of a musical level, you know, because so often in music, people exist in these kind of separate spheres and they think that, you know, if, if you, you know, if you're into kind of club music, you can't be into orchestral music or whatever. And yeah, Jennifer's shaking her head. And, and I think you, you see music very much like I do in this sense and that it's just this big picture of music but I think you've been really proactive in actually making the obvious to people I just think I've been really lucky to be able to do such a range of different projects I mean mm. like you just mentioned Damon Albarn's opera mm. I mean that opera was very left of center and it was um uh, it was in conjunction in partnership with a group an acrobatic uh ensemble of people from China so we had to sing in Mandarin and we had to Damon's quite experimental in and off his work is anyway so sometimes we had to improvise sometimes we had to make crazy sounds I mean that was an amazing experience yeah and then then to do something else like what was the other thing you just mentioned Uh, oh cream Um, classical and then cream classical which is all about house music yeah. And, and yet it was in the Anglican Cathedral in Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. I love I that. just think, yeah, the juxtaposition of all of these things is what makes life interesting. It absolutely is, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And that's that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, we talked a bit about Liverpool there, about the complaints choir in Liverpool and, you know, performing Korean classical in Liverpool uh, Cathedral. Liverpool's obviously a big part of your life. It's where you've made your home but a lot of your art, you know, is very much infused with a sense of place and of Liverpool. And so I wonder if you could talk about Love Sings from Liverpool, which was your um, virtual choir project, a manifestation of this song that, that I know has been with you for longer than that. And, 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 and if we're talking about, you know, music as something about unity and 
you know, dealing with things that are just bigger than music in terms of social issues. That seems to tie so many of those things together in a, a four-minute song and video. So could you tell us a little bit about the genesis of Love Sings and then its realisation as a virtual choir video? I've always wanted to work um, globally. I, you know, I like the idea that... I like folk music for that very reason, that in all societies folk music exists because it's the voice of the people and it tells the story of the people. And so I like that because it's about hearing what other people have to say, finding out about other people's histories mm. and sharing your own. Um, and so Love Sings, I wrote in 2017, um, because I wanted it to be the flagship song that I took to all of the projects that I work on, whether it be in my local community or in a community the other side of the world, because I think the song is about the celebration of music and of life. Mm. It's almost like a manifesto. It's like, it's like It feels like your manifesto in a way. Well, yeah, it encapsulates everything I think about what I do mm. yeah, um, and why I do it. And so, yeah, Love Sings was written back then. And I wanted, at the time, I was trying to figure out how best to make that happen. How can I create all these global projects? So for me, lockdown in that respect was a bit of a blessing because it meant that I could do a global project from my living room. Obviously, I couldn't do that on, on my own. I found an amazing company who created the visuals mm. and another company who created the sound. And in partnership, we... We created that, but it meant I could be global. Yeah. I could ask the people that I knew in various parts of the world to share the message that this project was going to happen. Uh, and, yeah, create this project that when you look at it visually, even if you don't hear the sound, you can tell it's a global project right. because of the diversity of the people involved. And, and that felt really central to the whole project, I think. Yeah, it was really important yeah. that it was represented in that way. And so how did it feel, you know, having been from the stage of writing the song to setting it all up to bring in these agencies, when you finally saw the the final version? There must have been like the first playthrough when you saw it. I mean, I cried at the drop of a hat, but I cried when I first heard the mix from the studio of all the voices together. And then when I actually saw the finished results, I just had to have a moment because mm. it was amazing. Yeah, It was amazing. And actually, in that video, it was important to me that I said to people, look, I don't want you to, I just want you to be yourself. I don't want you to put on a, any big display of performance. I just want you to be yourself in your environment and share the song with me. Mm. And that's what people did. It feels very ordinary and down to earth. Yes, in, in a really beautiful way, because there's a sense that people are kind of just sharing their, their authentic self. And that was important. And that's important in all of my work, to be honest. Yeah. Just getting down to the core of who you are and how you want to express yourself. I think yeah. I, did, I think I recorded my video for that in my garden, if I remember. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wonderful thing. And I will put a link to the, um, to the video in, in the show notes. So whilst Love Sings was very much a global project, it was also rooted in Liverpool. And I know that... You know, you've made Liverpool your home and it, that's a really kind of big part of your work. So let's just talk to Liverpool um, because I guess a lot of listeners, the podcast might know about the Beatles and, and the football, but there's, there's so much else to Liverpool. So, yeah, let's big up Liverpool. Liverpool's just one of those magical places, really. It's got so much history 
um, political history and um, social activism. And Liverpool's like, I always liken it to, you know, the way that when you've got siblings or family members and you get on each other's nerves and you fight and you argue. Yeah. That's fine. You know, you can forgive and forget. But if somebody external from your family says exactly the same things that you said about a family member, you're ready to kill, you know. And so there's a <laughs> there's an unspoken loyalty to its own. So Liverpool's very, yeah, very loyal. You know, it's it's got a history of um, unions. It's, it, you know, in the 80s, we saw that it was a very militant city. And it's a city, you know, Justice for the 96, for example. It's a city that stood behind its ethics yeah. without backing down and with a lot of integrity if they fear, if it feels like the cause is right. And that's one of the things I love about it. You know exactly where you are. But at the same time, it's got this magical not take itself too seriously vibe. Yeah. And again, you know, there's... I don't think a day has gone by where I don't have a belly laugh with somebody about something. Um, but again, you know, people from Liverpool don't like it if people from outside laugh at them or, mm. you know, pigeonhole them. I guess nobody else, nobody does. But so, you know, there's a lot of duality going on with Liverpool. But the thing I love is its heart and its loyalty. Yeah, I was just about to say, you know, Liverpool has a big, big heart and and. I discovered that, you know, when I moved the city um, to study there and then when I stayed on and, and made Liverpool very much my home. And, and I think there's also something, because it's a port as well, you know, it's it's very kind of outward looking as well. It can be. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's magical that it's a port. I mean, it means that the multiculturalism, the, the range of multiculturalism in the city is huge. So many different languages are spoken. Mm. I think it's something like 42 languages are spoken. Yeah, um, amazing. And uh, and so and also the musical influence that's been brought in through that. Yeah, that I think that's kind of what I was alluding to, really, because I mean, you know, all the, you know, obviously, we, yeah, we think about the Beatles, but it was because of people bringing in those records from America, wasn't it? And obviously, we have a huge kind of Irish influence, and that's all all in the mix. A lot of it's in the mix, and now we've got even more. So we've got lots of Arabic music. Arabic influence. We've got lots from the West African coast. There's a lot of soca. My own parents, um, even though they brought me up in London, mm. there's a rich West Indian tradition of music um, because there was always the carnival uh, that happened in Toxteth in Liverpool 8. And so all of those musical influences are still here, still part of the city's DNA, and I love that. Yeah, yeah, and there are, I mean, there are, it's very visible, you know, so there's the amazing Africa OEA Festival exactly. um, at, at Sefton Park, and there's a huge, you know, there's the Arabic um, Music Festival as well, and uh, yeah, it's just the, it, an astonishing kind of um, diversity for, for a city that is, is, you know, comparatively fairly small, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's amazing. There's so much to be found here if you bother to go and have a look. And, yeah, and ex exactly. Yeah, and definitely if you go and have a listen, go and on the hunt for the music, you find it. I've got to say, we're not sponsored by the Liverpool Tourist <laughs> Board here. But... but if you want to sponsor, James. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very true. Very true. No, we, 
And uh, I think there's also a thing about Liverpool, like when you know how great Liverpool is, you become quite evangelical about it because certainly in the UK, you know, there are, you know, certain stereotypes or perceptions or whatever. And, you know, it, it is it is a deeply soulful city. And I, I think and I think that's that's why you made it your home, Jennifer, because, you know, you're a deeply soulful person. So I think you're, you're a good match. Well, thank you, James. But um, I actually fell in love with the humour. Right. Um, after I'd finished studying, um, I just, it, I not- started noticing that I started to take myself a little less seriously because I came with that London, London swagger. Yeah. And, um, and that soon, I soon had that knocked out of me by friends. And uh, so, yeah, I like that. So th- there are so many, you know, projects that we, we, we've been talking um, about today, Jennifer, but is, is there one that you're kind of most proud of or you look back and you think, wow? Yes, when Sense of Sound, who is the group that I manage, the vocal ensemble that I manage, mm-hmm. we were invited to open the show for Chic, and our Rogers and Chic. You were invited to open the show <laughs> for Chic? Yeah, I mean... Come on. I mean... Bucket list. There are bucket lists, aren't mm. there? And then there are, I don't know, something What's the else. Next level of bucket. I yeah. don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but the next level is what that was, and so I, it was incredible. Um, and it wasn't just that we got to open the show. It was just that after the show, when everyone was backstage and the, everyone was just winding down, he, we were invited into a room where Nile Rogers was speaking about his his, his musical history. Mm. And we were invited to ask questions and just hear his anecdotes and hear about how he is where he is and that whole political and creative journey. Right. And that, to me, was like having an insight into someone that was like, wow, it's not just about the music, it's about the historical importance, the the equality issues, because as a black man working in an industry... Some of those stories that he had to tell were very inspiring and actually gave me a, an injection of energy to keep going and make me realise that actually all of the work that I do around equality is worth it. Yeah, wow. It, it does make a difference. I, I wonder if, if, if people listening are aware of, you know, the, the kind of social significance of like the emergence of disco and people like Nile Rogers. Is that, um, is that worth something expanding on? Yeah, because I think, you know, emancipation of black people in the same way, different musical genre, but yeah, disco is, is definitely deeply steeped in history. I was going to say that Gil Scott Heron also um, is an incredible ambassador or was an incredible ambassador for black voices being heard. Mm. I think now, I think people often don't realise there's a political attachment to black artists and what they have to say, because actually, especially within disco, because it's people just think about glitter balls and... They think it's all surface, Dance yeah. floors and, you know, roller discos, mm. <laughs> which of course it is. Which is obviously but, great um... <laughs> fun and valid in itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's much more to it. Yeah. Emancipation of black people. So we've, we've talked about um, Nile Rogers, you know, Jill's got, Gil's got Heron. Um, who, you know, who... who where are the wells of inspiration that, that you draw from, Jennifer? Because, you know, you are in turn a sort you know, a, a big inspiration for many people, you know, you empower so many people yourself. But who fill you know, who fills you up kind of creatively, musically, socially? Do you know, I've got such a cross section of people that I that fill me up. I mean, 
Strangely, Marina Abramovich, do you know her, the artist? She's I know, a, the, I know the name. Uh, Marina Abramovich is an artist who does amazing projects and she pushes the boundaries of humanity. And uh, every time I see a new piece of work by her, so she, I'm just like, okay, that's the equivalent of what I want to do through my music. Mm. It's always about people. It's always about getting people in a room. And it always has a social... Like she, okay, I'll be a bit more. For people who don't know her work, so there's a famous piece of work that I'm, I don't even know the name of, but if you type in Marina Abramovich, Red Dress Gallery, you'll, you'll see this project, which was that she sits in a chair and sits, and strangers can come and sit in the chair opposite her, and they literally look into each other's eyes for however long. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that exercise. I've done that. I've done that exercise with a few people, and to me, yeah. it's one of my favourite exercises it's because intense. it's intense. <laughs> I don't find it intense. I find it really connecting. Mm. You can connect. So many stories get told in that simple act of human connection, which is about looking at each other, that you go through a whole series of emotions. Mm. It ranges from shyness to... a. a, a, a an apologetic connection and everything in between. And to me, that's a fast track to what, to how people can be with each other when you take the time to actually connect. Um, so she inspires me. Um, there's a, a black American drummer singer called Anderson Pack, who, who I'm listening to on repeat at the moment. Mm who's just got this sense of rhythm like I've never quite heard before. His interplay between what he vocalises and drums. Nice. It's just amazing. Mm. And I just love that. He's just got a freedom and a courageousness in his approach to the music. It's all about the feel. There's no... It doesn't look like there's any calculation going on. It's about trusting the flow of the creativity. And I guess it's one of those things where he he's done the work already in terms yeah, of... Yeah, like, yeah. So he can be in that space where he can, you know... Yeah. Take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah. Once yeah. you've done your homework and the discipline is second nature, exactly. then you can really sit on top of it and create something phenomenal. Yeah, that's, I, I was, that just reminded me of... I heard I was really lucky to be in a room with Michael Sheen last summer, two summers ago, um, and he was talking about this. And I think someone asked him about, you know, being you know, over-prepared or being in the moment, you know, particularly in relation to his acting. And I think he said something like, you do the work, do the work first, and then allow yourself to be in the moment. Something like that. Well, it's like having a solid foundation, isn't it? That's mm. why the practice is really important to begin with. Yes. You know, when you're first learning an instrument or you're learning whatever it is you're learning, mm. um, so, that it, so that the artistry that can then sit on the top knows that the foundation is secure enough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, and this is something we haven't actually really talked about today, Jennifer, but, you know, you do so much work as a, uh, as a vocal coach, as a, as a mentor, as a teacher, um, where you're giving them that solid kind of technical platform for them to then go and express themselves. So the, what I, how I tend to describe myself, especially for my students, where it's about one-to-one -one and it's about me teaching yeah. vocal technique, is that I am a voice coach that specialises in artistic development right. because I think that they need to work hand in hand if what you want to do at the end of it is be on stages. 
Sure, right. Because that's a psychology for singers that I don't think gets talked about enough. Mm. And and it's that when you are the instrument, there's a, there's a whole set of psychology that doesn't quite exist in the same way as if your instrument is external to you. Absolutely, yeah. And I so I, with my students, I talk. Before I even ask them to sing, I ask them to tell me what's great about who they are. Wow. And often they can't tell me that because they've never even considered it as an option. And I say, well, what makes you think then that somebody will think you're great enough to come pay part with their money to come and see you on a stage? And that's where we begin. I think it's really important that you have a true sense of what's wonderful about you, not in an arrogant way. No. But in a but in a authentic way. So you can say, you know, I, I do this and I love it and this is who I am because. And then we can start the work on the singing. That's amazing. I mean, what you know, what greater form of empowerment can there be really for people? And it's that thing, isn't it? Because unless you feel great about what you do, the the experience won't be as total as it could be. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I feel like that's another whole podcast conversation we've had another time, Jennifer. So fascinating. So fascinating. So what what's kind of what's cooking at the moment? You know, what what, what are you working on at the moment? What, what what might be coming in the future? I'm hoping to do a lot more verbatim work, which is what I love as a composer mm-hmm. and as a collaborator with people and their ideas or their their, their stories. And then, you know, translating people's stories into New work is what I'm all about. And doing that in as many interesting ways as possible with as many different art forms. I am, at the moment, well, just before lockdown, I was on tour with an amazing vocal composer called Verity Standen. I mean, I've loved her work for years. She's fearless. And um, she invited me to come and audition for this latest tour, at which I was in the middle of. We were in the middle of rehearsals and then lockdown happened. So at some point, that will resurrect itself. That will come back. Yeah. Um, and I also know that you're doing some more kind of strategic work now as well. You know, we've talked about your, you know, working with groups and with individuals, but but also you're you're sitting on quite a few boards as well, which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, the two main boards, because we talk about equality and parity, and yes... I can manage to do bits of that through my, the work, you know, my work as a singer and a, and a choir leader and a composer. But I, I'm interested in the development of strategy, strategy that makes a real difference to the infrastructure of the music sector, whether that be community sector or whether that be commercial music industry and everything in between. Empowerment for women's voices within that and for black people's inclusion within the decision making that happens at every stage of those infrastructures is what I'm interested in working positively to try and change at strategic level. So it becomes part of people's, the the, the powers that be, for want of a better term, I want to change their thinking to be far more inclusive about equality for all people. And not just think about how it benefits them. Right. And this is at every level, you know, because yeah, we've been talk- talking mainly today about kind of performance, but actually throughout the whole industry. Yeah, because... Yeah. And, and, and it can range from things like, think about your programming. Does your programming represent 
women enough? Does it represent black people enough? And if not, then think about doing something about it. Um, now, Jennifer, we have a podcast playlist where I invite each guest to choose one song. Dreadful question to ask anyone, especially a musician. <laughs> Is there a song that you'd like to add to the playlist? So I've been listening a lot to Lady Blackbird. And she is a, she's just this woman I discovered that was recommended to me actually quite recently. I love her voice. And so there's two things about her that I love. One is when she's um, her kind of upbeat, housey disco tracks just really set me up for the day in a great way. You know, they lift my mood, my spirit. But then recently I discovered this other song, which is called Beware the Stranger. And it's much moodier. You get to hear her voice in a much clearer way and hear how distinctive and edgy and raw it is. And so, yeah, that's going to be my song of choice, Beware the Stranger. Fantastic. I'll add it to the list. Finally, this has been a whole series of life lessons, Jennifer, but if there's one particular life lesson that you can take from a life in singing, what would it be? When you find your voice, I think you find your truth. And you find it on so many different levels. To be able to... God, I'm making myself feel emotional. Um, just give me a minute. Sometimes mm. I... Um, my father just appears. And he did just then. Like a surge. So that's what this is. Mm. Ah. <laughs> It's okay. Yeah. So I'll try again. Sometimes when you find your voice, you can find a truth. Um, our bodies are incredible. You know, we have hearts, minds and spirits and energy that are all connected. When we realise the strength in the connection of all of those things. It's incredibly powerful. I think I'm so fortunate to do what I do, you know, and, and to be able to continue to do what I do is beyond a blessing. It's something much bigger than I am that I've been given. And I never forget how lucky I am to be able to do that. And we are very, very lucky to be part of that as well, Jennifer. Thank you so much for, uh, for our conversation today. Just amazing. Thank you. Thanks again to Jennifer for taking the time to speak to me for the podcast. I think you'll agree there's plenty to reflect on there from our conversation. And if you've enjoyed today's conversation, you might want to go back and check out some earlier episodes. Because yes, whilst the podcast is about singing, it's actually about much broader issues and using singing as a vehicle to discuss those. So go back and you'll find discussions about community, creativity, authenticity, joy, empowerment and equality. Now, if you go to the show notes, you'll find links to several of Jennifer's compositions, including Love Sings from Liverpool, the virtual choir project that I was very happy to give my voice to back in 2020, and also a link 
to We Are She, a more recent composition and virtual choir project from Jennifer. A project all about female empowerment composed with girls and young women from across Liverpool. I really encourage you to check it out. You'll find a link to Jennifer's website where you can find out about all the different projects that she's involved with, including her monthly Saturday Soul Sessions where you can sing with her via Zoom. And you'll find a link to the podcast playlist where you'll find Jennifer's Choice plus all of those from the guests across the series. I really think there's something in there for everyone. So dive in and discover some great new music. Finally, thanks to you, the listener, for being here, for sharing the podcast, for getting in touch with me via my website or through social media. It's really, really appreciated. So until next time on This Is Why We Sing, keep singing, keep smiling, take care. Thanks again for listening.